Welcome into this week's episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas Hill. As always, Colin still joining us from Cleveland this week. Uh, haven't seen Colin in person in a few months. Hoping that will change um, the next month or two if Ohio State starts having some football practices and games. But you got to be honest, I, I I don't feel quite as optimistic about that as I have for the past month. No, I feel like we've come on here for at least the last three, four, five episodes and sort of just been able to talk football without, you know, having to discuss the latest in the COVID-19 situation and how that affects college football. But I think if we're being honest, for, for both of our perspectives, like, I'm a, I'm a little bit more hesitant this week than, than really I have been in the last couple months. And, and I don't know if that's – honestly, it's just at this point – like a day goes by and you and you see a couple things and you get nervous all of a sudden just because there's just so much uncertainty in all of this but i think that it it reminds me a little bit of what where we were two or three months ago where it's sort of like we're just sitting here a little bit uncertain with everything but um as we know you know ohio state's continuing to to go through their voluntary offseason workouts and and, you know, there, there is a plan to get back onto the field and, and sort of a regular timeline. But, you know, when you see all these schools having these positive tests pop up, it does make you take a step back and, and wonder what in the grand scheme of things is, is going to happen over the next few months. Yeah, it's there's just a lot of uncertainty as there has been for months. And, you know, I, th- I mean, I feel like even just in the past few days before we've recorded here, it seems like things have started to change because... I, mean, I remember even uh, recording a radio interview on on Friday and being asked about this and and saying that I still felt you know pretty confident that there was going to be a season and then you see a lot over the weekend. Um, I believe Friday Saturday it was a lot of this stuff came out about uh, Clemson's had I think twenty three players test positive. Uh, LSU it's reported that they've had over thirty. Uh, Texas, Kansas State, Florida they're all in double digits. A few schools, uh, Kansas State, Boise State, Houston, they've all gone as far as to suspend workouts due to the COVID-19 positive cases. And then, you know, you look at what's going on in professional sports and you start hearing about more and more cases in professional sports, too, as guys are starting to be tested. And and, and first of all, I, I think we should say this, and I'm not sure this is really being acknowledged enough, is... We should have seen this coming. This this should not be coming as a surprise. If it is, you are being naive because this pandemic is still going on. While while I think you know we we'd love to just turn the page and we'd we'd love to be able to just uh, pretend like things are going back to normal. Um, it, they're not yet. I mean this this pandemic is still going on. It could still go on for a while. Uh, you know there's there's always. Uh, conflicting information about how close we are to a vaccine and uh, you know how you know how serious this actually is and and how long it might last the reality is we still really don't know but as long as it continues to be a thing uh, there, there's gonna be positive tests what I think really alarms me is the fact that you see schools that have come back for voluntary workouts and 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 you know for to be clear for Ohio State we don't know if there's been any positive tests at Ohio State. Ohio State, unlike many other schools, has decided not to release uh, results uh, of COVID-19. Um, we, we have put in a public records request 
uh, to try to get some of those results. Um, you know, our thinking is that at least the the number of total cases, uh, positive cases, should be a matter of public record. We'll see uh, where Ohio State comes down on that. Uh, we're certainly not going to find out, you know, who specifically is is getting uh, tested positive with, with COVID nineteen. Um, but you know, just in terms of total positive cases, uh, certainly that's something that we would like to know, and that a lot of other schools have decided that the public should know. But uh, I think what's concerning is when you see uh, some of the other schools that, after having a significant number of positive tests, have decided we've got to shut down, we've got to stop for two weeks, because you just think ahead to the season. It's suddenly not that far away, and if the answer anytime a team has a significant number of positive tests is we got to shut it down once the season starts that's not going to be sustainable yeah i think from an ohio state perspective it, we are sort of in the dark with with all of what they're doing and i know that that's sort of the most important thing for for us covering it and you know for for everybody out there listening is is what is ohio state doing about it and right now like when when you read over ohio state's plan to you know have nine players and one instructor um going through the workouts right now and you know they're they they tested everybody when they got back on campus and you know they they made everybody sign the pledge and and it's pretty clear that they have at least instructed people what to do it does seem like ohio state's taking the correct tact on it we can all we we can say this a million times though, and, and that is that it doesn't really matter um, the the uh, what what happens in Columbus uh, because at the end of the day this is a nationwide thing and it's going to be up to every single school involved uh, in in Division One to to figure this out. Um, by themselves and collectively be able to play a season. I think that's where I take a step back and say, this is going to get really complicated. Not that I didn't already know that, but I think in the past week or so, I've, I've, I've thought that even, even more. Well, and you mentioned the fact that right now, okay, right now they're limiting workout groups to, to nine, to nine players at once. But if you think, if you look at the plan that was just approved by the NCAA division one council last week, uh, that, that calls for walkthroughs to be able to begin on July 24. That's one month from today. So yeah, are that's we gonna, not far in, at all. In one month from now, are we going to get to a point where if it's only safe for nine players to, to be together right now, that it's going to be safe a month from now for an entire team to practice together? That, that seems to me like a lot needs to happen in the next month uh, if you're going to take that leap. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, it's interesting, and, and this is where um, – like you said, a month a month feels sometimes it feels long. In this case, a month feels short, just because this thing is dragged on for so many months already at, at such a slow pace that you know it, it's hard to imagine. Like you said, a ton changing. I am going to be fascinated to see how Ohio State plays it, how how Ohio State um, how the, how they go through this, because obviously they're not going to be they're not going to be want they they're not going to want to be the the program or the team that. You know, people on the outside are wondering what are they doing right now, and I think that I think they've done a good job thus far, at least taking as as proper protocols as you can. But you know, it will I will we we've said it a million times, and that's you know I don't the the problem is I just don't know exactly what it's going to look like, what level of risk they're willing to take, um, 
and how you're going to get 100 people on, on one field a month from today. And like you said, even if Ohio State does everything right, even if you assume Ohio State does everything right, the players are totally responsible, they do what they're supposed to do, uh, they don't put themselves in situations where you know they're more likely uh, to contract COVID-19. Well, well first of all, the, the fact of the matter is, no matter what you do, uh, there's going to be a possibility that guys are going to catch COVID-19 and that if you have guys together in the same space, that they're going to spread it to one another. So, I mean, first of all, that I mean, that's just undeniable. There's, there's, there's no way uh, you can completely eliminate that risk. That's why uh, the players were asked to sign the Buckeye Pledge, because there's just no way that you can completely eliminate that risk. It's, it's not possible based on uh, where we're at with this thing right now. But then the other challenge becomes, okay, it's if you're talking about having a season, well, it's not just you know, Ohio State, then it's all the teams that Ohio State plays. And then it's all the teams that those teams play too. So all of a sudden you, you, you have all these different uh, things that need to come together. And I, and I think what really worries me is you just think about, okay, so you know, let's say it's week three of the season and a, a team has an outbreak. Okay, so now does that team have to be shut down for two weeks? Do the teams that they've already played have to be shut down for two weeks? You know, do the teams that those teams play, it, it, it can quickly become a web that spreads outward. That suddenly, uh, it, it, if if you're at a point where any possible exposure to COVID-19 is going to shut the thing down, uh, it, it can it can quickly become a web where it, it, it just kind of stops the season, period. So uh, I, I think it has to get to a point. You know, you know to me, I mean, I, I think you have to get to a point where you're going to be able to continue a season going even if a portion of a team tests positive for COVID-19. Uh, I think if the season was to start right now, I, I do not think that we'd be there. Can, can we get there in, in two and a half months? We'll see. Mm-hmm. I, I think that you make some good points. I think it's interesting... Um, you know, it'll it'll be fascinating to see um, what happens if there are positives, and I think that that to me that's the one thing that you know that is the most important thing for every single sports league to figure out. And it's a lot easier if you're the NBA; you can put everyone in a bubble versus when you're college football, and that's really not a possibility at all. Um, I think there are a ton of factors here that are going on. I think it's fair for us, you know, to operate right now that the season's going to happen, but. There's key, key things that we don't know yet. And, I, and, and honestly, I don't really know when we're going to figure them out. And, and, you know, Gene Smith, he, he talks to the media a lot. So I think that, you know, when he feels comfortable um, with a plan of, of what Ohio State's going to do this fall, he'll go ahead and he'll go ahead and talk about it. But until that happens, I think that, you know, there's reason for Ohio State to, to keep quiet on that front and, and figure it out as they go along. Because like we've said a trillion times over the past three months is, you know, this this is ever-changing and it's good to get as much information as you can before you have to make ultimate final decisions. And, and you know behind the scenes they're weighing everything. They have all kinds of, of plans and possibilities um, that, are, that, that they're discussing. But um, until they actually have to make the final call, um, I don't know that we're going to hear a ton, which is why I think it's just fair for us to operate right now as if there's going to be some sort of a season. I do think there's going to have to be some decisions made in the next few weeks, though, because Gene Smith did say 
the last time he held a teleconference fit. Uh, he fought by early July. Uh, Ohio State was going to have to have an idea of what its schedule was going to be. Yeah. So I, I do think that in the next few weeks, decisions are going to have to start to be made. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean those decisions are going to be set in stone because I think with the uncertainty of this thing, uh, you know, I think as we learned back in March when this whole thing kind of started, that uh, things could change here. So uh, plans could be made and, and plans could fall apart. Uh, obviously, uh, they hope that doesn't happen, but but that could happen. I think I think the reality of this season period is we're going to have to be prepared for things to potentially change as they go. I, I, I think that's just a reality. But I, I do think in the next few weeks here, because especially if you look at that calendar, uh, that, that calendar that's been set up, uh, it's, it's actually set up well. What we did say, you know, it's it would be if Ohio State starts its season opener on on September five, then they would start required workouts July thirteen, walkouts July twenty four, uh, preseason camp August seven. But those dates are based on actually playing a game on September five. So if, if they were to you know decide to postpone the start of a season, then Ohio State wouldn't start those practices on those dates. So you know, I, I would think at some point in the next few weeks. Uh, there are going to be some decisions made. Uh, I don't know exactly what those decisions are going to be. Uh, like you said, I, I do think that I do think that Gene will keep us informed when it's at a point that uh, he is able to to make those decisions public. But I think right now they're just weighing so much that I think. Uh, for the most part, people are really hesitant to say too much of anything because uh, they still just don't know which way this thing is going to go. Yeah, we got a couple questions that I think that you know we can get into. One was from Grand Theft Harley, who says, who asks, what is the latest revision, if any, to Ohio State's athletic department protocols for COVID nineteen? And I think the answer to that right now, as we know, is none really. Yeah, I don't think I I haven't heard of any revisions. I think uh, the plans that were outlined before they started voluntary workouts, which was as we talked about before, limiting workout group size. Uh, you know, having all athletes undergo tests before they start, uh, obviously checking temperatures, reporting any symptoms that they have. Uh, I think all of that's pretty much the same. I, I haven't heard of anything regarding uh, those protocols changing. And, and so far, for, you know, from what we've heard, it sounds like they're working. We haven't heard of any uh, outbreaks of the team or anything. So uh, hopefully they'll, they'll continue to work. And then he has another question, which is, I guess he just wants us to make the prediction of, do we think that there will be a college football this season, given the rash of teams testing positive? I mean, I really hope so. I mean, I, I really hope so. I mean, I, I it, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. I, I, I really hope so. I, I still, I mean, I'll, I'll say yes, uh, but it's, it's just, a, it's a hesitant yes, just because, there's a lot that needs to happen here, and and I think, like Colin said, the tough thing here is it's not the same as professional sports. You can't you can't put college athletes in a bubble. You can't you can't isolate them in a hotel for three months. It, you just you can't do that with unpaid college athletes. So I think I, I think that's the challenge here. And there's just there's not we're not really gonna know because it's it's not like there's college sports happening right now you know there's some professional sports that are starting to happen again but there's not really a model for it for college sports until it's time to get right into that fall season so it, it's hard I mean I, I I really hope that there is uh, I, I will say I don't think it's going to be a normal season I 
I'm guessing that the season will probably be modified in some way. I, I would say my optimism for the Oregon game happening as scheduled is low because I, I think I think a, a cross-country trip to play a game in, in front of no fans of everything that's going on, my feeling is that's just not going to happen. Um, I, I think it's possible it could be a, a Big Ten-only regular season schedule. Um, hopefully we find out more in the next few weeks. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think that... I think there will be a season, and I have no idea how many teams, how many games will be played, how many weeks, which weeks, whether it's pushed up or pushed back. I really don't know. But I think that somehow, some way, <laughs> there will be football played um, by Ohio State, at least, this fall. Yeah, I think pushed up is unlikely at this point, because I think that would, that would something that would really have to be decided very soon. Yeah. But, uh, you know, pushed back, I... I think it to me. I think it's probably more most likely that if a season's delayed, that it would just mean chopping off the non-conference games. I think it'd be most. That'd be my guess, and it's just a guess. My guess would be that if they don't feel like the season can start in early September, then it would be most likely a Big Ten only uh, a regular season schedule uh, without non-conference games, and then. How that would work in terms of college football playoff and all that, I think that's all still very much up in the air at this point. And then Daniel has a couple questions. One, which we've answered, which he was asking about, you know, will Ohio State announce the total number of players who test positive? And the answer to that, at least right now, is no. Um, And then his other question is, you know, if the season is a, a conference-only schedule, would the conference itself create that schedule? Would it possibly move the Michigan game to a different part of the season instead of the last conference game? And I think, at least from the way I would understand it, is you would you would essentially just move the conference schedule either forward or, or backward or, or keep it where it is. Well, I think the question would be, I think a couple questions. I know one of the rumors out there has been that it could possibly be a ten-game Big Ten schedule. It's currently nine, so um, I think it could be modified. I think it could be modified. Um, yeah. I, I think there could be games added. I think it also depends on are all fourteen teams able to play. I mean, that's that's still a variable out there. I mean, it, it's possible that you know there could be a Big Ten team or two that decides it can't play so i think that would be a variable as well but i I, but i think to answer the first question yes i think if if it's a conference only schedule the conference would would create that schedule uh obviously would be uh in cooperation with all the schools i'm sure Uh, i mean i mean gene smith from as i understand it is on a call with athletic directors pretty much every day uh so i i think they would uh certainly all work together to figure it out uh, you know, I think, obviously, I would think, let's say it was a 10-game schedule, that I think the teams that have five home games and four away, uh, they would get, they would have another road game, vice versa. If it was four and five, you'd get another home game. So I, I think that's probably why they'd look for an even number to try to even out that home or away. So uh, you could see a game added uh, to each team's schedule, obviously, against a team from the other division. Uh, that you're not playing if you were to go that route. And in terms of uh, the last conference game, you know, I, w- I would certainly think uh, the goal would be to keep that Ohio State-Michigan game uh, in its usual time slot uh, Thanksgiving weekend at the end of a season. But because there's so much up in the air right now, 
that's uh, probably not a hundred percent. Yeah, I would I would say it's a priority though. I would assume I would assume that that'll be the last game in the regular season that that Ohio State plays. As long as you know, if they went to a conference schedule and they had to adjust things, I still think that that would be last. And um, you know, I think that both teams would would want that. Yeah, I would I would think so as well. If we want to talk about some scheduling stuff, it's not related. To COVID, well, I sure as hell at hope it's not going to be related to COVID <laughs> in seven years Ooh. from now. I I really really hope so. But uh, did get some uh, exciting news last week. I think this was probably of, of everything we wrote on elevenwarriors.com last week. This was probably uh, the stuff that got the most engagement from our readers the past week. So definitely wanted to talk about it uh, this week on our show. And that being that, Ohio State and Alabama are going to play a home-and-home home series in 2027 and 2028. So uh, we got to wait seven years for it. But this is a game that I think a lot of people have wanted to see for a long time. Of course, uh, the last time these two teams played, very memorable for Ohio State fans as uh, the Buckeyes defeated the Crimson Tide in the college football playoff semifinal on route to winning the national championship. But these two teams have never played each other in their home stadiums. It's also going to be the first time in almost 40 years that Ohio State will have played uh, a home-and-home regular season series against an SEC opponent. So uh, this is definitely one that's been near the top of a list of non-conference games that I think everyone's wanted to see. Uh, So certainly uh, one that's exciting to look forward to. Yeah, I think that if you were to ask me, like, what is, what's your, if you were to ask me a week ago, what's your wish list of non-conference games? And I think that we're very deep in the offseason. I think that would have been a very reasonable question to ask. And I think Alabama, if it's not number one, it a thousand percent would have made either two or three on my list. Clemson might have been my number one just based on pure recency. But, you know, Alabama... When you when you match up these two titans in their respective conference, I mean I think that that is that who who doesn't want that who 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 doesn't want that I just think that this is good for for everybody I think that that's something that you know when I was talking with uh, Diana Sabau uh, from uh, Ohio State who's the deputy AD um, to Gene Smith you know she mentioned that and and you know like I really do I, I really do buy that I I don't really know what would have held Ohio State back just the way that Ohio State's scheduling right now because and for so many years there was just a barrier between scheduling home and homes with with uh, with uh, SEC opponents um, to, to go to the SEC and then and then have uh, have them play in Columbus and that happened only once between now and the 1930s and that was LSU in the 1980s and the fact that the fact that Ohio State is scheduling the Oregon's, Notre Dame's, Texas's, Washington's of the world, it just makes sense that you would go and schedule a power like Alabama because, you know, there's 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 just so many reasons to do it. I think that it's hard to find harder than ever to find reasons not for not to have Ohio State schedule a game like this, especially because if one of the main reasons is is college football playoff related, by the time Ohio State and Alabama play, I'd be blown away if there isn't an 18 playoff. Well, that's certainly possible because uh, the current college football playoff deal runs through the 2026 season. So I think uh, the, what a lot of people think is going to happen is at the end of that uh, deal with ESPN that uh, it will expand to an eight-team playoff. Um, and certainly 
that would only increase the incentive to play these kind of games because you know I think right now uh, I, I mean, I know there's a good amount of Ohio State fans because anytime we write about this, I'll look at the comments and I'll see there's a, a good amount of Ohio State fans who say uh, we should stop scheduling games like this because it hurts us if if we lose. But I think, you know, obviously the flip side of that is uh, it, it helps you if you win. And I think that'll be especially true uh, in an eight-team playoff where I think the potential reward of a big non-conference win early in the season is going to outweigh the risk of that loss because if you you know we obviously we've seen it right now where basically if you lose two games during the regular season you're not going to make the CFP but if, if it becomes an eight-team playoff uh, that's going to change and and I think there's going to be even more emphasis on strength of schedule and and who you've beaten during the season and so I think Ohio State is purposely setting its schedule that way where it's going to have a, a big uh, resume boosting early season game year in and year out yeah and there's so many other reasons to do it too like one like ticket sales i mean as as much as as much as that's been made an issue um throughout the country ohio state hasn't been hit by that a ton but it but it still has um you 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 have seen a little bit of a dip in that and i think that when you schedule alabama you do though you do that with the idea that when that comes around in 2027 2028 you can sell tickets for however much you want because everybody's gonna buy it and i think it's it's also good i mean it's good for a number of reasons but i think it's also good just for the for the sport like i think that i think it might be a little bit weird for some people to imagine that Ohio State and Alabama could play in week one and then maybe in the playoff they could match up again. But to be honest, like that sounds pretty cool. Like am I am I crazy? Yeah, I mean I mean I, I mean I think I and I, I don't think you can schedule thinking like that. I don't think no. you can schedule thinking, well, what if they play again in the college football playoff? You you want to schedule the best teams because because you know, we, you think back to before the playoffs started, and you think back to what people are going to be saying six years from now when they're opposing the expansion of the playoffs, and they say the sanctity of college football's regular season, and and how great the college football regular season is. And, and to me, an eight-team playoff is not going to ruin college football's regular season. I think it's going to be just fine. But but these are the kind of games you want as a fan. These are the kind of games you want to see. I mean, even us as journalists, these are the games we want to see because. It's a hell of a lot more interesting to write about Ohio State versus Alabama than it is to write about Ohio State versus Buffalo. Yeah, can confirm, Dan. Can confirm. I would. Uh, I would much rather do that. I think it's. Um, I-, I wanted to do this, Dan. Like when when you look at what Ohio State is scheduled, like it's a fascinating list of teams. You have Oregon in 2020 and 21. You have Notre Dame in 22-23. Washington 24-25. Texas 25-26. Bama 27-28. And Georgia 30-31. Like, I was sort of, when, when I was just looking over that list, like, I was trying to create a ranking of, like, the top three that I'm that I'm most excited for. And I don't even know how to necessarily rank that, but is Alabama, for you, the, the number one when, when you're ranking potential matchups is Alabama number one for you? Because I mean, it's a pretty clear number one for me. Yeah, it, it is number one. Because to me, I, I mean, and, and you mentioned it before, like what your list of 
like games you would have wanted most. For me, Clemson would have been number one. That's for multiple reasons. I used to cover Clemson. I know people at Clemson. I've been to Clemson. So uh, Clemson would have been number one for me uh, for that, in addition to just the, the rivalry that just continues to build between those schools. So Clemson would have been number one for me. But Alabama would have been number two because, to me, right now in college football, if I'm looking at what are the you know, power programs in college football – to me, Clemson, Alabama, and Ohio State are your top three. Those are the teams that in recent years have consistently been great year in and year out. They're just always in that national championship picture every single year. So to have you know that game as a home-and-home home in a future season, you know, those are two of the programs, too, that it's so hard when you're scheduling these games out for a decade because you really have no idea if – uh, these teams are still going to be good or not. But Alabama is one of those programs I'm pretty confident. I know they had one you know, rough patch before Saban came in, but I'm pretty confident that even in seven years, even if Nick Saban's not their head coach, that Alabama is still going to be one of the best programs in college football and that those are going to be two really highly anticipated games. What, what, would, what would be your number two and number three, Dan? If you're if you're talking about the the games that you know you're you're most anticipating, yeah, it's it's tougher there. I I think I would pick Texas at number two, and I know Texas is <laughs> so down I. compared so to I. a lot of these other programs right now. I mean, obviously, it would be most fun if Tom Herman is still the coach in five years from now because. Uh, I think it's been really interesting to see kind of a way that relationship has devolved since he left Ohio State to where uh, he is not loved by the Ohio State fan base anymore, even though he helped Ohio State win a national championship. So I think that would be a fun game. I mean, we've seen Ohio State uh, continue to recruit some guys from Texas. I imagine they'll continue to do that over the next five years. And Texas, I mean, again, even though they're not right now where they've been in the past, I think certainly five years from now they could be back at that level. And they're just one of those historic programs. I mean, to me, just from like a travel standpoint too, like Austin's always a place I've wanted to go visit. So like going to Austin to me, that's like an exciting trip uh, to to go uh, to DKR Stadium. So uh, that's number two for me. It sounds like it is for you too. Yeah, I'll be honest, Stan. Like Texas to me – like, I know I shouldn't really view it like this because it's not actually the case. But to me, Texas is one of those programs that I just feel like should go 11-1 or 12-0 in the regular season every single year. So the fact they haven't, I st- for some weird reason, I still think by 2025 and 2026, no matter who their coach is, they're going to be really good and those games are going to be awesome. Even though, as I say that, like I know it's, it, it might be illogical. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you know. To me, like, it, I agree that it is one of those power programs that, even though they haven't been elite for a few years now, you do feel like they should get back to that point because, I mean, you're talking about the biggest program in, arguably the biggest football state in the country. I mean, certainly, uh, Georgia and and Florida and California would argue for that as well, but. Uh, Texas, I mean, football is about as big in Texas as it is uh, anywhere else. They've got so much talent in the state year in and year out. So that's a program, if they're recruiting at a high level and they're developing at a high level, they should be competing for national championships. And if they're at that point in five and six years, that's going to be a really exciting series. 
Yeah, I think I think the one that was close to me is Georgia, and that's yep. essentially just because one that one the same reason in that I think that the Georgia is such a talent rich state. It's such, it, it's a state that if you're if you're coaching the Bulldogs, you should have them at ten and two or eleven one every season. They're 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 just one of those programs in my mind, and also like any any Ohio State SEC games like. I, I know that we haven't actually seen them in the regular season, but I'm just predicting any of those are just going to be crazy hyped. And I think that, you know, people, I, I think all eyes are going to be on those games. I think whatever week that is in 2030, when I am 35 years old, good God, um, when I am when I'm 35, I think that that game is, those games are going to be crazy. And I think those games are going to be great. And that, to me, I'm thinking of what, what, what teams would I like to see Ohio State face on the field? And, I, and I'm thinking of you know the the top teams with with um, and, and the best conferences with the with uh, you know talent a talent rich environment. And that to me that's Texas and that's Georgia. Yeah, I mean, uh, Colin. First of all, I think there's probably a lot of our listeners out there right now that are not feeling that bad for you. I know, I know. I feel thirty-five and ten years. I'll have, I'll have, I'll have someone in my family text me uh, and and say that too because I know, I know for a fact that I, I definitely made some people uh, roll their eyes. But yeah, I'm there with you on on Georgia. I mean, I, I think if this game was happening right now, Georgia would be number two, just because they're. I mean, right now, I think they're a top five team in college football, which which Texas is not. So I think if this yes. game was happening right now, I would pick Georgia. And uh, certainly, I mean, they're a team like you said, so much talent in that state. There's another program that you expect to be a contender every single year. So even though that that game is ten years off, uh, you would expect that game. Uh, to be a really big game uh, in 10 years from now. So certainly uh, that's one that I'm uh, uh, looking forward to as well. Yeah, Notre Dame's right there to me. I just, um, I I don't know. I think in, in 2022 and 2023, the way that those two programs um, are trending right now, I just, I would feel pretty confident if I was an Ohio State fan going into those ones. I'm not sure how... Uh, I'm not, I think the environments will be awesome for those games, but I uh, would feel pretty good if I was an Ohio State fan, just knowing that those games are coming in two and three years, and the way that the way that Ryan Day has the ship pointed is uh, that I would I would I would feel pretty confident. Yeah, I feel the same way on that one. I mean, Notre Dame's definitely up there in terms of like stadiums I haven't been to that I've wanted to go to uh, go to mm-hmm. South Bend. Uh, and see that stadium so I, I think that'll be a very cool one I mean certainly you talk about I know like my dad like that would be his number one choice probably uh, it'd be either Notre Dame or Alabama because like he grew up watching Notre Dame football and they were such a big deal when when he was a kid so I, I know that's one he's already talked about like he wants to go to the game at Notre Dame just because he's always wanted to go to a game there and he's he's been to games at Ohio State so I, I think that's one that I think it's kind of more of a the history of it and the nostalgia yeah. of it makes it cool. But I tend to agree with you that unless Notre Dame makes major strides in the next two to three years, I wouldn't be surprised if those end up being games that are lopsided in Ohio State's favor. Yeah, and, and I put that over in my personal rankings. I, I, I would say that's more anticipated than the Oregon games for me just solely due to that history and due to the fact that, you know, this is Ohio State and Notre Dame clashing in the regular season. And, and that, that to me, gives it the edge over Oregon, which I have second to last. And then I put Washington at the bottom because I'm going to be honest, Dan, 
I'm not. I don't know why Washington's on the schedule. Yeah, our rankings are identical. I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I was looking forward to going to Autzen this year. I, I mean, I've kind of accepted the fact that there's a good chance that's not going to happen. I mean, even if there's a game, I think there's a good chance that's not going to happen because we don't know how things are going to work from a media standpoint. So uh, I've accepted that, but I was looking forward to that because that's uh, typically considered one of the loudest stadiums in college football. I I was really looking forward to seeing that environment. I've never been to uh, Oregon State either, so I I was looking forward to that. Washington, I mean, I, I agree with you that it's last on the list, but I, I don't think there's anything wrong with scheduling Washington. I mean, this is a team that was in uh, the playoff a few years ago. This is a team that's uh, consistently one of the best teams in the Pac-12. So uh, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with with scheduling Washington. I mean, they played in the Rose Bowl a couple of years ago. I, I think uh, you know they're a good program, and, and I think if 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 we're talking about Washington being the the worst team on the non-conference schedule in terms of home and homes over the next 12 years, but I think that says that Ohio State has a really good non-conference schedule lined up. That that I very much agree with, but I think that also colors my view of Washington, where I see I see the benefits of, of scheduling a Texas and Alabama, a Georgia. Uh, a Georgia, a Notre Dame, and 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 an Oregon, but 2024-2025 um, Washington. I can tell you this much: I don't think it's going to live up to the the Notre Dame series beforehand or the Texas series behind it. And you know, I would take Washington. Uh, I I would love to go visit a go to, go to a Washington game, but if uh, if I'm stacking it up against the rest of these, it is it is my clear. Uh, what is this number? Six. Number six on the list. Yep. The cool thing, though, if if the schedules stay intact, is Ohio State's actually scheduled to play Washington and Texas in the same year in 2025. They actually host both of them in the same year, so uh, that'll be quite a way to start the season, uh, playing both of those teams in non-conference games. Yeah, I think it's interesting because because when like the I think the immediate idea when you see that is well. One of those games is going to get switched to you know somewhere past 2030, or maybe some one of those will get moved to a neutral site so that Ohio State only plays um, one major Power Five team um, in a season. But I don't know. I'm not. I'm not 100% on that boat yet. Just because I think when you look at like what an Alabama scheduling right now, and you know there's they have Ohio State and Notre Dame in, in the same year. They have West Virginia, Ohio State in the same year. West Virginia, Florida State, Florida State, Wisconsin. I think that they're you know I, I don't think it would be outlandish for Ohio State to have um, two of those teams on the schedule in the same year. But I, I'm not. I'm not exactly sure that it actually happens. Yeah, and if you look at that schedule, first of all, the Texas games were flipped so that Texas would be at Ohio Stadium that year, Ohio State would go next year. The reason that was was because of the way the Big Ten schedule is. Ohio State scheduled to play five Big Ten road games this year, so that was done so that Ohio State would be able to have its seven home games. So uh, I don't think they're making that move if they're not intending to still play the game. You also look at the way it's scheduled. Uh, they have a bye week in between those games. Texas will be their season opener. Washington will be uh, the second game. So I think the bye week makes it more doable. That said, if you look at that schedule, it would start with Texas and Washington, end with Penn State, Michigan State, and Michigan. 
man, that's a that's a tough bookend to the season. Yeah, I would like you to fast forward to the 2025 season because I now want to watch that. That said, the uh, the the late October back to back of Connecticut and Rutgers is basically like getting uh, two additional bye weeks. Yeah, I like uh, that. Now we're into analyzing the 2025 schedules. Welcome to the off I mean, season, baby. I mean, let's just let's just hope that in September we're not analyzing the 2025 schedule because we <laughs> might be. No, Dan, please go find some wood and knock on it right now. I got some right here, by coffee table that i'm recording on is made out of real wood so respect respect hopefully hopefully that works uh we did have a question from john glore 8287 he asked what is the likelihood that nick saban is still at alabama in 2027 and i think we can add on to this because we actually had it as a poll question on 11 warriors this past week and you start to wonder well, what's the likelihood that Ryan Day is still going to be at Ohio State in 2027? And, and what's that coaching matchup going to be? And, and certainly, I think the likelihood of Ryan Day uh, still being at Ohio State is much higher than the likelihood of Nick Saban still being at Alabama, given that I believe Nick Saban will be 78 at that point. But a lot can change in seven years. Well, I think on the poll on 11 Warriors, I think there's an option of Ryan Day will be gone, but Nick Saban will still be there, and I'm pretty sure that had 0% of the votes. <laughs> That's probably accurate. It is. I think it is. But, you know, it's, it is – I think the Ryan Day part um, is – is. I, I honestly think they're both really difficult to figure out. I think the safe answer is that at least one of them has gone, um, and maybe the safe answer is that both of them are gone. I mean um, – in college football, I think that it, it's easy it's easy to look at a successful program and think how is how is that person going to leave or, or how is something going to go wrong. But I think time and time again, you just you just see people uh, move on or, or, or see things happen that maybe you don't expect. And and college football is also the place though where you see someone coach for 35 years and stay there. So it it, it certainly can happen. But I think especially in Ryan Day's case, it's tough just because. You know, he's coached at Ohio State one one time, one year. I guess one year in three games, if we're going to be uh, completely accurate. And to say, will he still be there in 2027? I just think, I think it's a legitimately impossible question. Yeah, looking at those poll results, 70% of 11 Warriors readers said Ryan Day versus someone else. 23% said two different head coaches. 6% said Ryan Day versus Nick Saban, and a measly 19 votes out of 4401, which did come out as 0%, had Nick Saban versus someone else. But I, but I agree. I mean, I think, you know, I think right now, I, I did vote for Ryan Day versus someone else because I think right now, as good as things have looked so far to start the Ryan Day era at Ohio State, I could see him absolutely being the coach of the Buckeyes for a decade or more. But it's also only been one year and a lot can change in seven years. I mean, you think about, I mean, I mean, again, if, if we had asked this question after the first year of the urban Meyer era, and we would have asked, would he still be the coach in seven years? Probably would have said yes, but things change. Things happen. So uh, there's a lot that can happen in, in seven years. I, I think given his age, uh, I mean, he, he, if things go the way they're going right now, he could be the coach at Ohio State for a long time, and I think uh, certainly you know things are off to a very promising start. Uh, 
but it's still, you know, would I would I bet a lot of money on Ryan Day still being the coach at Ohio State in seven years? That probably wouldn't be a good bet, just because uh, so much could happen between then and he's still, you know, he's 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 got to have a few more really good seasons to really prove himself. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting spot, um, and and I don't want to be the crazy one, Dan, but I voted that neither of them will be there, and I feel like maybe that is crazy. And I think when whenever someone suggests to an Ohio State fan right now that there will be a year in the future that Ryan Day is not the head coach, it's an offensive thing to say because Ryan Day has done such a good job, and it is really hard to point out things that he's done wrong, but. I don't know. I, 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 I've, I've sort of stuck to the opinion that at some point, you know, maybe he'll take an NFL job that pops up that this is the one that he really wants. I think, I think, if, um, I think a lot of people in my position, if the Patriots job came open this year and someone other than Ryan Day filled it, I think a lot of people like me would sort of shut up and think that maybe Ryan Day will be around longer than I think. But I'll be totally honest. Like, no, Ryan Day hasn't said anything that says, you know, I want to go back to the NFL. But I still do think of him as someone who would be very successful in the NFL. He's that kind of coach to me where he, he has the respect of all his players. He's a young guy. He's, a, he's an offensive-minded guy who who's sort of on the cutting edge of everything right now. And if in five years and six years, if he's still at that place um, and the Patriots job did come open, like... I don't. I, I. don't think I would feel 100% confident that that you know he wouldn't he wouldn't interview and 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 consider that one and you know like like you said it's been one year a lot can change I think Ryan Day is a, is is going to be a great head coach at Ohio State but how do I know what things are going to look like in three years I mean you said after Urban Meyer's first year people would have said that he would be around for eight or eight or so years like I think people in early 2018 you could have said will Urban Meyer be around for six more years you would have, I think you would have had the majority of Ohio State fans say yes I think it's just so hard you know to think about what might happen um, to it to a head coach who has it rolling and that's what Ryan Day does right now but I'll be the crazy person and 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 predict that neither of them will be there yeah, I think on the NFL point, I have no doubt that if Ohio State keeps rolling, and if especially on the offensive side of the ball, if, if Ryan Day keeps doing what he's doing at Ohio State, he is going to have interest from the NFL. I have no doubt about that. He's probably already had interest yeah. uh, from the NFL for head coaching jobs. Would he leave for any of them? That I have no idea. Uh, I have no. I have no idea. It's it's uh, it's pure it's pure conjecture uh, to to guess. Uh, what he would do if the Patriots or a certain job uh, that he might want uh, would come along. So I think uh, you know that'll come in time. I, 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 and I also I also think too. I I, I I sort of feel like the longer he's at Ohio State, the less inclined I think he might be to go to the NFL because I think a cert, at a certain point, uh, if, if things really start rolling, uh, you're going to be feel more and more inclined to think. Hey, things are so good here. Why would I ever leave? But again, it's only one year in. <laughs> you know, there's there's most likely at some point here in the next few years. Uh, sorry to say it, but there's probably going to be a, a, a rougher patch that comes along than what Ryan Day has had to deal with so far. Not not including this whole pandemic. I'm talking about on the field, bad losses or or whatever. It, yeah, and, like and like most, two losses one season. <laughs> it, you're right. Exactly. Yeah, the horror. 
Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean that's the thing. There's there's gonna be different things that he's gonna have to navigate over time, and 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 who knows, you know, how, what that might ultimately lead to. But uh, yeah, you know, it's a. Uh, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this conversation plenty in the future. Uh, there's probably only so much need to speculate yeah. about whether Ryan Day is going to be Ohio State's coach in 2027. Yeah, and I think for the foreseeable future, I see no reason why he'd leave. I mean, for at least the next three, four years. I, I just think when you have the kind of classes that he has coming in, when you have the talent that he has on the roster right now, like this is going to be a national championship contender for the foreseeable future. So I don't think that this is you know, in any way a discussion about – Will Ryan Day leave soon? I just think seven years is maybe long uh, a long time, so who knows what will happen. We were also asked about Kirby Smart at Georgia in 2030. That one I have even less idea about. <laughs> I mean, again, 10 years. And, you know, to me, I, I look at – when I look at, you know, coaches, to me, I, there, to me, there's two coaches in college football who I feel confident right now saying unless there's some major scandal – they're going to write their own ticket in terms of how long they want to stay. That's that's Nick Saban and Davo Sweeney. They think they're pretty much going to coach at their schools as long as they want. Uh, everyone else, we'll see. I mean, I, you know, I think I look at someone like a, a, an Ed Orgeron and say, well, I, you know, I have a feeling he's probably going to be at LSU as long as he wants to be. Uh, certainly, you look at people like Ryan Day and Lincoln Riley and, and think, you know, there's certainly a very good chance these guys could be at their schools for a long, long time, uh, given how young they are and how highly regarded they are. But I look at a Kirby Smart and I say, you know, I think I think if he's still going to be the coach in 2030, I think that's probably got to mean Georgia's won at least one national championship by then, because that is the expectation at Georgia. So I think, uh, you know, I, I think if he's still going to be the coach in 10 years, uh, you definitely got to keep keep being a top contender. I think you've probably got to get over that hump and win a national title uh, at some point uh, in the next 10 years if you're going to keep your job that long at Georgia. Yeah, it, you think Mark Rick stayed a long time at Georgia. He was there for 14 years. Kirby Smart in 10 years, that would be his 14th year. So he'd have to stay as long as Mark Rick did. Yeah, and I, I, I think the Georgia fan base – Considering how how many of them had lost their patience with Rick by the end, uh, if another coach goes 14 years without winning a title, they're probably <laughs> going to have run out of patience by with him by then as well. So, yeah, Kirby Kirby did you know obviously he he went to Georgia, but you know it would be fascinating if Nick Saban retired and they gave him and they gave him they gave Kirby a call. There is a chance that Ohio State could face Kirby Smart in one of these games, and it will not be the Georgia game. That is that is a definite possibility. Yeah, no, I wouldn't rule that out. We're also, I think we talked about this a little bit. He asked, what other non-conference teams would you like to see during regular season in the future, and why, for whatever reasons? Obviously, I, I already mentioned Clemson. You did, too. Are there any others for you, Colin, that really stand out as, as teams you'd love to see him schedule in the future? I mean, West Virginia. <laughs> I figured that's what you were going to say. <laughs> I mean, I would love for uh, Ohio State to play West Virginia, but if I'm being honest, if I'm talking about why does Washington make sense, I have no idea why West Virginia would make sense for Ohio State to schedule in the regular season. Um, but, you know, like any any SEC games, I'm here for. I would love that. Um, and I know that, like, Ohio State obviously played USC at some point in the, in the recent 
semi-recent past, I w- of course I would love to see a, a UFC, a USC type of, of opponent. And and to be honest, like it's that Texas, it's that Georgia, it's that it's that Alabama. What I just really want to see is I want to see them against the very best programs, the biggest programs with the biggest fan bases. That would be great, awesome matchups that are great for college football. And I think that my list is pretty similar to just the average fan. Like I just want to see Ohio State go up against the top programs in the country. And, and that's why right now Clemson's obviously number one on that list yeah I think to me you know I I think you know before you know Alabama was scheduled to me the top three were probably Clemson Alabama LSU so I think LSU would be right up there for me as well Uh, they did play LSU in the 80s but that's been a while Uh, that's another one of those stadiums that you know I'd love to go to and you know I think would obviously again fit that criteria of you know really uh, you know two power power programs going up against each other, and definitely a lot of them in the SEC. I mean, Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, Texas A&M, those are all ones that I think would be uh, definitely worth considering. Uh, Florida State's the number one they haven't played a home-and-home against that I think uh, would be worth considering. So a, a lot of Southeast teams, That does. Uh, I think that's where a lot, a lot of them are for me. A lot of them would be uh, high up on the list are those uh, Southeastern teams, but uh, you, you know, I, I do think, you know, a West Virginia, I, I, I don't think it's at the top of a list, but, you know, I do think there's some appeal there just in terms of uh, it isn't e- it isn't fairly easy travel. There are teams uh, that are within the same region. I, I, I think I think a team like that or a, a Kentucky teams like that, uh, th- those are worth looking at as well, just uh, based on regional ties. Yeah, I think that honestly, I just I, I don't think that there's a ton of benefit other than the fact that you know regionally that would make a ton of sense but to me I think Ohio State is trying to be a national power which is why they're scheduling games all across the country and and why I don't really I don't really see that being a, a, a legitimate game that'll that'll be scheduled though I'm here for it yeah we, we will we will see we'll see I mean I think no doubt uh, they're looking for the biggest games in the nation, but at the same time, you got to remember there's only so many programs that are at that level, and they've already got six of them lined up. Well, so yeah, I no, think- that's why it goes back to the SEC and and the fact that Ohio State has played one home and home with them since the 1930s. Like there are a lot of those teams that that Ohio, Ohio State hasn't played in a while in the regular season. That would be great matchups, and and that's why I'm excited that you know they have Bama and Georgia on the schedule thus far. Absolutely. I think we're going to definitely continue to see more SEC teams pop up on the schedule in the future, and I think that's a good thing, not just for Ohio State, but for college football in general to get some uh, great September non-conference matchups. Yeah, I think Texas A&M is high on my list, too. I don't know why, but I think that that would would just be a fun one, uh, because I think those are two fan bases that that, that uh, I would love to see interact. Yeah, Tennessee, Tennessee. Oh man, they yes, <laughs> that would be a very, a very passionate yeah, fan base. I don't know. So. Fun. I was going to use the word fun. <laughs> that I don't know that that's the apt word in that in that scenario. But I would, I would love to see that one too. Yeah, that that would definitely be uh, fun, interesting, yeah, interesting whatever you want to call out. it. <laughs> well, you've been doing your uh, state of the position series, rolling along with that we talked some about the defensive tackles last week so uh, we'll get into some talk on the defensive ends here uh, before we wrap up this week's show and obviously this is a position where 
you know, I, I feel like we just keep saying it over and over again. It's, you know, the, the big question is who steps up to replace Chase Young because uh, Chase Young left such a big shadow uh, that there's just such enormous footsteps to fill there. But there is a lot of talent in this room. There is. It's, it, you know, I just felt like when I was writing this that I just felt I, I kept writing the same thing over and over again. But, you know, I didn't really feel that bad about it because it's true. And that is, you know, all of these guys in this room, I think, are, are really, really talented. But if we're being honest, like if we step back, like they haven't done a whole lot. I mean, Zach Harrison, I think he really impressed me last year. He had three and a half sacks. I think Tyreek Smith, he's only has a he has he has a few sacks in his career. He's now a junior. He needs to step up. Jonathan Cooper's a fifth year senior. He's never had a season with more than two and a half sacks. Tyler Friday has three career sacks. Javante Jean Baptiste only has a couple sacks. In totality, like I think those five guys are extremely talented. I mean, four of those guys are top one hundred recruits, and then you have Javante Jean Baptiste, who when you look at his frame, he's an incredibly physically gifted defensive end. But like my, my my the weird part about where I am with these defensive ends is I'm sort of where I was last week with the defensive tackles and that I don't totally know what to do but in, what what to expect but instead of just looking at Teron Benson and saying you know if he's great I think if he's really good then then I think the defensive tackles are going to be good I think Ohio State has to have multiple defensive ends um, step up and in a way that really we haven't seen them do at all thus far in their careers but. But that's not me throwing cold water on it because I also think they have that ability. It's just a matter of, you know, can they do it? And it sounds so simple, but that's that's really where I am with them. Well, it's hard because they've, they've all been in Chase Young's shadow. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I mean it, it was such a Chase Young show last year that, I mean, none of these guys necessarily really even had the opportunity to really uh, break through. But they do. They, they have to. Uh, they, they have to because well, I also, they're not going to... I also don't know that I agree with that. I think that they did have the opportunity to break through. They just didn't. I mean, collectively, they played 1,100 snaps and I think had 11 sacks. Yeah, but you didn't You didn't see one of these guys really just step up and become that number two guy. And I think that's what you're saying is that you, none of these guys have really stepped up to a point where you know for sure, hey, this guy's going to be the next star of a defensive line. This guy is going to... Uh, be a, a a surefire starter this year because we just haven't seen enough from them. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yes, I I completely agree with that. I just think that um, as much as anything else, I think that last year Ohio State would have benefited from one or two of these guys, you know, becoming fairly consistent. And I think that it's a lot to ask of, of Zach Harrison to be that guy. And I think that it was unfortunate for Jonathan Cooper that he had injuries. And Tyreek Smith and Tyler Friday both battled injuries. So I think that, you know, if if you believe that the injuries played a huge role in, in, in last year, um, none of these guys really rising to, to be that complimentary guy to Chase Young, I do think that there's, a, there's reason to believe that provided they're healthy, that multiple of, of, of these guys will have their best seasons yet. And that's sort of where I am with them. And I think that probably most people are is that multiple of multiple of these defensive ends are going to have their best seasons yet as, as Buckeyes. The question to me is, you know, how good are they going to be? Like, Dan, when you think about Zach Harrison, I think it's a fair bar to look at and look at him and say, you know, 
if you're if you're starting in the Fiesta Bowl, clearly you're on that sort of Bosa Chase Young um, level. Like, do we expect six, eight, ten, twelve sacks from him this fall? What what are you anticipating with with him specifically? Yeah, I and mean, I think he's been on that trajectory since he stepped foot on campus. I think that's the expectation when you're a, a five star top ten overall recruit in the country is is you're going to be that next. Joey Bosa, Nick Bosa, Chase Young type player. So, uh, you know, I, I do think he will be a starter this year. I do think he will lead the team in sacks this year. I, I keep going back to Chase Young had 10.5 sacks as a sophomore. So that's what I look at. That's kind of my baseline for him. I'm not saying I think he's going to necessarily get 10.5 sacks. If I was betting over under, I'd bet under just because I, I think asking uh, 11 sacks for a guy who's still fairly unproven uh, is, is probably high. Uh, but but I, but I think it's within reach too. I think I think he's he's really really talented. I mean everybody you talk to from a program just raves about him. Uh, both his physical ability and the crazy things they've seen him do on the, the practice field. But they also talk about how hard he's worked. And you know I mean we're seeing him. I think he's a guy who's already kind of stepping up and becoming a leader. I mean we just saw that he was uh, named to the Big Ten uh, anti hate anti racism coalition. So I think the fact that he was selected among Ohio State student-athletes uh, to be one of their representatives on that. I think that says a lot about uh, the kind of respect that he has from his teammates. And then you just look at the physical specimen he is. I mean, he's a guy He's a guy who stands right along Chase, alongside Chase Young in terms of just physical freakiness, in terms of how big he is, how explosive he is. Uh, so I think the potential there is through the roof. You don't. You. It, it's hard because I feel like even what I'm saying right now, I'm setting the bar so impossibly high for him. But uh, and the talent is there. There's no question about it. Yeah, I, I don't think. I think that when we talk about Zach Harrison, it, it's easy to get to a point where you feel like you're talking in hyperbole and you're talking about a guy who can't really blow us away because we're already comparing him to the Boses and Chase Young. But that's really who he is. Like, when you see him play, when you look at him warm up, everything about him screams that he should be on that level. So I don't think it's out of place to, to talk about him like that. I think 10.5 sacks is a fair bar. I, I, too, would go under. I just think that's hard to do. I mean, Nick Bosa in his sophomore season had 8.5. I think he'll get somewhere between 8.5 and 10.5. And, 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 um, and I think that, you know, I think that could lead the team in sacks. And I also think that that's really what they need. Like, Zach Harrison has to be he has to be either their best pass rusher or a guy who's getting eight nine sacks whether that's their best or not like I think when you look at the rest of the defensive ends and when you look at the rest of the team and you see a secondary that's been hit with a bunch of turnover <clears throat> they're gonna need great pass rushing and Zach Harrison's the Nets great pass rusher it's up to Ohio State to get him ready in 2020 and get him to the to that sophomore Chase Young sophomore Nick Bosa level even though obviously the the offseason hasn't been what anybody hoped yeah, I agree. I think he has he has to take that step. They definitely need him to be a big time contributor, but but they need they need more. They they need other defensive ends to step up too because you can't you can't expect sophomore Zach Harrison to be junior Chase Young. So you know I think you need uh, at least one or two other guys who can, who can really make an impact as pass rushers too. And I think Tyreek Smith is the guy who who most people go to as being that other guy because I think he's a guy that came in with really high expectations. And uh, we've seen some brief glimpses of it, but we just haven't 
seen it put together on a consistent basis. And and injuries have been an issue for him. He's definitely battled some injuries over the course of his career. But now's that time where you really want to see him prove it. You know, now he's going into his third year. Uh, I think you know, at least in terms of what we've seen on the field. He's probably a little bit behind where we thought he would be at this point. So I think this is a big year for him to really try to break through and start to prove that he can be another guy that's one of those early round NFL draft pick talents. Yeah, he's I'll be honest, like he's he's maybe the guy on the team who I think gets the most amount of hype for the being an upperclassman who really hasn't done anything. Like I don't I I mean last year he played let me look. He played 243 snaps, had five tackles for loss, and three sacks. And, you know, yes, he had some injuries, and and those kept him out a few games, but he played for the vast majority of the season. And to be honest, he just wasn't as impactful as, one, I thought he would be, or two, he needs to be next season. And when you have Chase Young across the line of scrimmage, you don't really need to be an 8-9 sack guy. But I think with him gone... Like Tyreek Smith absolutely has to step up and have by far his best season. And I think that that's what, if if you get Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, and Jonathan Cooper, and then one of maybe Tyler Fryer or Javante Jean-Baptiste to really step up and get, you know, at least six, seven sacks, like that's what you, that's what this group has to do because they're not going to have a, you know, I don't think at least that they're going to have someone in 2020 be an All-American defensive end. I think that this is going to be a group dynamic, and I think that they have the talent to, to be a really good group. It's just a matter of everybody really having their best seasons yet, and I think that that's a lot to ask, but these guys are talented, and I have no doubt Tyreek Smith has, has enough of, of enough power, enough skill to, to, to have his best year yet. It's just the pressure's on because Ohio State this year, they really need it. Well, and you just think of a way teams played Chase Young at the end of last season where he was, I mean, he was getting triple teamed on a lot of plays. That's that's how good he was. And when that's happening, that creates a lot of opportunities for other guys. But, you know, maybe Zach Harrison gets to that point eventually, but he's not going to be there going into the season. So that means... You know, guys are gonna guys are gonna have to be able to to create for themselves, and they're gonna have to be able to make plays themselves. And so, you know, I look at Tyreek Smith being a guy that I think he's got that potential. But like you said, I, 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 we haven't seen it yet. We we just haven't. I mean, he's he's made a few plays, but we we just haven't seen it on any consistent basis yet. And I think Jonathan Cooper is another guy that you look at and say, you know, fifth year senior. Uh, there's no question if this is a guy who's played a lot of football, and I think is a guy that. Uh, Larry Johnson has a ton of trust, and I think he said, you know, you wouldn't find a happier guy when he found out that Jonathan Cooper was coming back for another year because just to have that fifth-year senior on an inexperienced defensive line is huge. But, I mean, he's a guy who said it himself, you know, going into last year. Uh, he, he hasn't made the kind of impact yet on the field that he really believes he's capable of making at Ohio State. And now this is this really is his last chance to do that. So he's another guy you know, I think you, you look at it at this point four years in and you wonder, okay, at this point, can he really make that huge leap to become a star pass rusher for the Buckeyes? But you know, he was a highly recruited guy. Uh, if it's going to happen, it's got to happen now. Yeah, it's um, – I, I think at this time a year ago, and, and we've, we, I think we've talked about this before, I was a little bit out on, on what to expect from him. But 
I really do think that Jonathan Cooper could have a late career surge because, you know, he's at the point now where I think a lot of people are maybe looking at a Zach Harrison and Tyreek Smith, and there's a reason why we talked about him first, because these guys are the kind of guys who are on the trajectory to be great and to be high NFL draft picks. And Cooper's the kind of guy who, you know, he he was gonna need something. He need to do something late in his career that he hasn't yet. And I think when I when I look at him, I, he's someone who this past year, sure, he didn't have a great four games, but he was playing hurt. And I think that if you know, for the first time in two years, he gets back on the field for real healthy game snaps, I think that he's someone who could be really impactful in this room. And I think especially when you have a lot of guys who are trying to take their games to the next level and, and all of a sudden are being relied upon, it's good to have a guy like Cooper, who's, who's a multiple-year team captain now, to, to sort of lead them. And I anticipate you know, we're going to see heavy rotation with this group. Where, so do you know, I. Last year, last year we saw where Chase Young really never left the field because he was so good. I don't know that anybody's going to be in that boat this year where they're going to be on the field all the time. I think f- at least four, if not five guys, if they're all healthy, I, I think Harrison, Smith, Cooper, Tyler Friday, Javante, Jean-Baptiste, I, I think they're all going to be in that rotation in, in some capacity. You know, Friday's a guy, he just seems to be pretty solid. I mean, when he's out there, uh, we'll see if he can kind of take that next step and, and really make a bigger impact. But he just kind of seems to be a really solid rotational guy that they like. Uh, Gene Baptiste is a guy who I think has upside. I, I think he's a guy that maybe we fought going into last year. Uh, maybe had, you know, we thought might do a little more than he did, and he really didn't do a whole lot. But he's still a guy, I mean, you talked about it. He's a guy who came in with a really intriguing frame. He it, it took him some time to build up uh, to where he is now, but I know he was a guy who was named as one of the most improved players in and, and winter workouts, and obviously we didn't really get to see him in a spring, but I, I still think he's a guy with some intriguing upside. Uh, if he can get some playing time in that rotation, uh, who, who has a chance to do something. Yeah, I just, when you say do something, I'm not sure that that something is, is what I expect him to eventually do. I mean, I think Tyler Friday and Javante Jean-Baptiste are, are really interesting players, but, you know, I think Javante won. He had to get his body right his freshman year because if I remember, he was around 215 or so pounds when he yep. got on campus. So there was no chance that that guy was going to play defensive end as a true freshman. And then this past year, I think it was really a learning year. So if you're talking about who's a guy who could potentially have a breakout, you know, he's someone who I would look at. But I think just given the track record, he doesn't really he hasn't really done a ton yet. So I think that you know physically he's incredible, but. I think that there's a reason why they put the red shirt on him, and they know they knew that you know off the bat it would be a little bit of a slower um, development. Tyler Friday's fascinating to me because he's someone who you know back when he was getting recruited they were calling him Baby Taekwon after Taekwon Lewis because he has that kind of frame where you know pretty much immediately you can sort of plug that guy in, and he'll be interesting because I think he's the kind of guy who can move around on on like the Rushman package, which you know I think it's worth at least mentioning because. We didn't really see it a ton last year, and I expect, I fully expect that they'll break it out a good amount this this fall. Yeah, I think we could see it more this year, especially with the the limited defensive tackle depth. I I think it, at least three of those guys on the field at the same time. Uh, you know, Cooper and Friday, I think, are both definitely guys you can play inside. And you know, we saw we saw you know even Zach Harrison do some of that last year, and and he was doing some stuff in the the free man fronts too. I mean, he was even lining up at at nose tackle sometimes. So I, I think they're definitely gonna experiment 
uh, some more with that this year. Uh, probably more than they did last year, just because I think I think when you have Chase Young, you you don't even have to experiment that much. But I think uh, this year they're they're gonna have to get a little more creative and. You know, I will probably talk about it more next week of linebackers. Like, I know you're a big advocate of getting uh, some rush linebacker snaps for Baron Browning, and I think I, I think they're going to have to get a little more creative with their looks up front this year, just because you don't have a Chase Young who who is just going to dominate no matter what. Do you feel better about this group in 2020 than the defensive tackles, or, or worse? I feel a little better because I I think we've at least seen a lot of these guys play. I mean, the first five guys that we talk about, we've at least seen them play. They at least all have a good, solid experience. So I feel confident that they're going to have a steady rotation of guys that, that they can go two or three deep with guys who can play. Whereas a defensive tackle, I, I feel like they're in a position where if they have an injury or two, uh, they could potentially be in a bad spot there just because they don't have a ton of depth. So I, I do feel better about the defensive ends, especially in terms of depth and in terms of a number of guys that I think can rotate and at least uh, make a solid impact this year. You know, it's funny you say that, and, and that's your reasoning, because to me it's the total opposite. I think that my hesitation on on a lot of these guys is because I've seen them play. I don't, I don't think that that's uh, maybe the positive for them. I think that... You know, I would have liked to see a little bit more out of them um, than I have before. But I think collectively their ceilings are all so high that that's maybe the reason that I think that that that, that I feel I agree with you ultimately. That I think the defensive ends in 2020, I feel a little bit better about them than the defensive tackles, just because it, like Zach Harrison, I think he's a future first round pick. Like Tyreek Smith, he could be a future first round pick if he puts it together. Uh, Jonathan Cooper, he, he's certainly a draftable guy if, if he has a good redshirt senior season. Um, Tyler Friday, certainly think he could get drafted. Javante Jean-Baptiste, he has that kind of build where if he if he has a breakout season, he could go high in, in, in a draft. And I think, you know, I don't necessarily have those opinions about the majority of defensive tackles. There, there are a few that I think that about, but maybe not all of them. I just look at the defensive ends. I think the potential is all there. And if I'm thinking about, you know, what's a who, who, if I were a, a fan, would I want coaching that type of group? I would say Larry Johnson's probably that guy, and that's why I think ultimately, like as as much as I worry a little bit about their past production, I do I do look around and, and, and look at you know the physical gifts that all these guys have, and the fact that Larry Johnson is the one leading them, and I ultimately you know I feel pretty decent about them. Yeah, I think there's a logic that a lot of people have where um, a lot of times people are more excited about the guys they haven't seen play at all because. Uh, they just think that guys are going to come in and immediately uh, be great. And if a guy's come in and he's only been okay, then uh, they, they wonder if that guy's going to get better. But, I mean, I just think back to last year. I mean, think of Devon Hamilton. Think of Pete Warner. Think of Damon Arnett. These are guys who we all saw get demonstrably better from one year to the next. So I do like the fact that, you know, those top five guys, they've all played. We, we need to see two or three of them get demonstrably better this year. But I think they have the potential to do that. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. I think, um, you know, the other interesting part of this group is the young guys. And I, I would group five of them together, and that's Noah Potter and Cormonte Hamilton as uh, defensive ends and who, who redshirted last season. And then the incoming freshmen who are Ty Hamilton, Jacoby Cowan, and Darian Henry Young. Like, generally, 
Dan, what are your thoughts on those five guys? Yeah, but I don't really know what to expect from any of them right now because, I mean, I think some of them, uh, you know, certainly like Cormonte Hamilton and a freshman, like some of them are in that boat where like maybe a couple of them end up at defensive tackle. I don't know exactly uh, what they're going to be. Uh, so, like, I don't, I mean, first of all, I don't really expect any of them to play a lot in 2020 because they have five guys who all have experience. So, or 2021. You know, I, if you look at if you look at how this plays out, I think that you know if Zach Harrison, Tyreek Smith, Tyler Friday, and Javante Jean Baptiste are all back the following year, like these guys might have a couple years to develop immediately. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's probably likely. And then you look at Jack Sawyer coming in in twenty twenty one, who's who's going to be pushing for immediate playing time as well. So uh, there's going to be plenty of competition. But I think I think it's a good I think it's a good group of developmental guys for the future. I think I don't think. You know, you look at the freshmen coming in, I, I, I don't think there's a Zach Harrison or Chase Young in that group. I don't think there's a guy coming in in that group who you project as a future top 10 NFL draft pick. But I think those are some solid rotational guys. But I think, you know, two years from now, uh, any one of those guys, uh, you know, could be a guy that we're talking about as a, just a really solid uh, second or third defensive end of a team. You know, I think Potter was a guy who looked pretty good last spring and we didn't see him play much. Uh, during the year, but now that he's got his red shirt, uh, he'd be my pick to most likely be the sixth guy in the defensive end rotation. So I, I think uh, he probably won't get a lot of major snaps this year, but at least you know late in games, I think we'll see him play quite a bit. And so I'm interested to see how he comes along. And then you know you know guys like Cormonte Hamilton and Darian Henry Young, Jacoby Cowan, they're all intriguing guys to me because they're all pretty big guys. Uh, who you know I I, I do tend to think that one or two of those guys is going to end up at defensive tackle at some point just because the numbers at defensive end are a lot higher than they are at defensive tackle. But I'm, I'm intrigued to see, you know, whenever we do get to see those guys play, just what they bring to the table, uh, what they look like in an Ohio State uniform. Because I think uh, they, they've got some intriguing physical skill sets. Uh, I'm not sure that any of them are going to be ready to really make an impact in 2020, though. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, um, you know, it's an interesting group to me. I, I, I really, if, if you were to pin me down and say, like, who, who, who out of that group has the best career? I have no idea. I mean, I think that this is going to be a group that needs two or three years to develop generally, and I think that, you know, they're going to be guys who later in their career are going to be impactful, and I think that they're going to have, you know, like I said earlier, the ability to develop just because Ohio State's pretty deep um, at defensive end among its sophomores and, and juniors right now. So I think that they're going to um, – they they won't need to get pushed immediately. I think it's I think it's a fascinating group. I'm not sure I look at any of them though and say, well, that guy's gonna be awesome. I th- I think it's a fine group and, and it's and it's one of those groups that you know when Ryan Day says that he wants to have balance on the roster, like you want to have the five star guys like a Chase Young, like a Jeff Okuda, who are gonna be great for you and then go to the NFL, and you want to balance that with guys who are gonna be around four or five years and are going to be veterans on a team and, and be reliable guys. And like to me, this is a class that you have that, that you have those kind of guys in. Because in the nineteen class you bring in Zach Harrison, the twenty one class you bring in Jack Sawyer, and this twenty class you have Ty Hamilton, Jacoby Cowan, Darren Henry Young, and I think that you know those are all guys who could be around and, and could be impactful for, for Ohio State as as veterans. Yeah, and you look at it, you know, that group of five guys, you've got 
three Ohio guys there, all with you know pretty strong Ohio State ties. Noah Potter, of course, his his older brother Micah uh, played for uh, Chris Holtman, ultimately transferred uh, to Wisconsin. But you know he's from Menor. His teammate Ryan Jacoby is from Menor as well. You have Darian Henry Young, who's from Princeton, which of course is also the young mother of Paris Johnson Jr. And then you've got. Uh, Ty Hamilton, whose older brother, Devon Hamilton, I just mentioned a few minutes ago, is a guy who we saw really develop over the course of his Ohio State career and finish strong on the back end. And I think uh, certainly Ty will be hoping to do the same. And, you know, Cormonte Hamilton, he's famous for the story of uh, taking a Greyhound bus just to participate in a camp at Ohio State. So uh, we know he's a guy who dreamed of being a Buckeye. And, and Jacoby Cowan, he's probably the guy, if I had to pick one, of who I think is going to have the best career, I'd probably pick him. I think he maybe is a guy who's maybe being a little bit uh, slept on. I thought just, just, just getting a glimpse of him in spring practice, I was just impressed by how physically developed he looked for a guy who was in his first practice as a Buckeye. Obviously really haven't seen him play at all. So, uh, you know, I, I do think he's still probably more likely that, you know, a year or two from now is when he'll really start to make an impact. But I was impressed just to see like, how he looked physically for a guy who uh, should have been a high school senior at the time. Yeah, Quamante Hamilton, going back to him, like you just said, that's the guy who I have literally no idea what to expect from. Like, none. Well, because we thought he was a tight end. <laughs> yeah, so, but, yeah, but just, even still, I thought when they moved him, I thought he was going to be a defensive tackle, and he lines up at defensive end. So I feel like I just, I'm just off on him. What I want to do is I want to see him play an actual game this, this season. Yeah, I think it's hard, too, because you know, he had just made that switch. So I, I think yeah. you know, maybe... Uh, we got to see. I just want to see what he looks like physically. Like, I mean, I haven't even seen him physically to see like what his size is right now because I think that's going to tell us ultimately whether he's going to be a defensive end or a defensive tackle. Yeah, no, it's that that's going to be fascinating to see. And like you said, I do expect one or two of those guys at least to move inside to to play defensive tackle just because they're going to they're going to be needed. But it'll be it'll be interesting. I think that this is definitely a group that you're going to see be Buckeyes for, for the long term. Yeah, and I mean, the pipeline looking pretty strong right now. Uh, Jack Sawyer, Tamisha Adelaide, both committed for the class of 2021, and uh, they're still in the running for JT Tumolowal, really trying to get him. So, I mean, if, if they can get him, I mean, they're going to have the best defensive cla- defensive end class in the country for 2021, and you could already say that they do. Uh, with Jack Sawyer, I mean, he's a guy that we've been talking about for years and is, is going to be the next guy on that Bosa Young-Harrison trajectory of an Adelaide uh, top 50 prospect as well. Certainly another guy with a ton of potential. Yeah, really a shocker that Larry Johnson has this thing humming, isn't it? He's, he's very good. He's, he's very good at his job. And no, we're not going to talk about how long he's still going to be at Ohio State. Yeah, we already covered the uh, – we'll, we'll do that Nets podcast. How about every single <laughs> podcast from now on we talk about one Ohio State coach and how long they're going to be at Ohio State? Just because I know that that's, that's, that's what Ohio State fans really love to hear. Well, hey, if you guys want to hear about it, uh, ask us. We ask for questions every week. So any topics you guys want to hear us talk about, especially while we're still here in this – off-season period of uncertainty, not knowing uh, what's going to happen. Anything you guys want to hear us talk about, uh, we're open to it. So if there's something you really want to hear us discuss, let us know. Yes. In fact, might as well just head to the questions that we have remaining, even though we answered a few of them earlier. Yeah, these are kind of just 
weird questions. <laughs> but, here for uh, a couple of our uh, couple of our frequent question askers getting it. There's actually one that I didn't get to last week, but I added on here from Little Trouty, and he asked, "You have to change Ohio State's colors from scarlet and gray to another combination. What do you choose?" I mean. Did you do you have a good answer for this, Dan? I've been thinking about it. There's not a good answer for this because because I figure uh, immediately right off the bat you've got to roll out blue and yellow. I mean you got to uh, no more seems to be said there. You got to roll those out. Um, you know I figure like green to me just seems really weird. Yes. Uh, we're rolling out orange because Ohio State fans hate Clemson, so we're rolling that out. Uh, so I don't know. I mean black and white, brown and white. Like I, I feel like there's not a lot of good options here. Yeah, maybe you just go like full purple, just all in on purple. Start playing Man, that, Prince that, songs. That's just weird to think about. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> it, it is. There is no real good answer. I'm not even gonna lie. I, I don't even. I have no idea what you could even pick. Yeah. I'd have to really give I, this I some would, thought. Cause you're I'd right. Go like black and white. Or you're right. You just have to rule out half the half the colors before you even get started. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of them that you just can't do. So like, I mean, I'd keep it simple probably and go like black and white. Brown and white, something like that. Yeah, because, no, you can't. I, uh, mm, I don't know. know. You know, I'm gonna stick with purple. Because <laughs> if purple, we listen, purple it is. If we're changing colors, we're just gonna go straight up weird. We're gonna make the field purple. Can you imagine how angry some Ohio State fans would be if Ohio State had a purple alternate uniform? <laughs> yes, in fact, I could. That would. I could definitely see that being poorly received. Yeah, well, um, I, I would... My advice to you, Nike, is don't do a purple Ohio State alternate it would uniform. Be poorly re- it would be poorly received by me as well. So, there's that. Even though you suggested yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Little Trouty also said, he said, I've seen a few golf-related por- forum posts in the past week or so. What would it take to get an 11 Warriors golf outing someday? Well, I could say that I would be all all about an 11 Warriors golf outing. I'm a big golf guy, so I would love to make it happen. I don't know if Colin would be. I do know, though, that Colin would love to have a top golf outing. Yeah, I don't know about that, Dan. But I, I will say I'm terrible. I'm terrible at golf, and I usually quit after like four holes just because I'm not having fun anymore. Because I'm, because I'm, I just suck. I'm bad. I'm terrible. I, so I, I just started getting in my own head, and then I since I'm competitive, then I it just it devolves, and I don't like golf. But I guess since you bring up the Top Golf story, I'll at least have to I'll at least have to explain why you bring up Top Golf, and that is, I think, what was the first time? Was the first time? Do you know, who it was an was? outing of some sorts. I wasn't there, but it was. I believe it was an Eleven Warriors sponsored outing. Uh, I think it might have been like a charity thing. Um, and I, I know you were there. Yeah, and, and you you were. Yeah, and so, you know, things are going well. I like Top Golf because the only thing I do well is I hit the ball hard, and you know things are going fine. And then all of a sudden, I look at my phone. Ibrahim Diallo has committed, and I didn't know that that was going to happen. And let me tell you, you want to you want to ruin my day. Just put me at Top Golf and tell me someone is committed that I didn't know was going to happen. So I had to scramble for that one. And then, of course, how many how many months later was the Nets one, Dan? I don't remember. I don't know, but <laughs> I'll say it was this: it was when Kalen Etzler committed. And this time, I knew Kalen Etzler was, was going to commit. Except I thought it was going he was going to commit on Tuesday, 
and he committed on Sunday night while I was at Top Golf again, and I was unprepared. And let me tell you, <laughs> actually, I don't have to tell you, Dan, was I angry? I just remember you dropping an expletive and saying he just committed and then going out to your car and we did not see you again. <laughs> yes, because I was like, oh my. Like, I knew, you know, the worst part of that, that one is I knew it was going to happen. I just thought it was going to happen a couple days later. That's why uh, it's always it's always dangerous to uh, procrastinate when it comes to drafting up a, a commitment post or a, a, a news that uh, we might have been tipped off about. It's always dangerous to procrastinate because when you do, uh, you end up uh, having to leave while you're playing top golf. Yeah, that uh, you know that good. one too. I felt confident. I felt confident that it was going to happen when when it uh, when I was told it was going to happen. And you know, we've all we've all been there. Yeah, that we've all been I there. I fully regret. And now, whenever I go to top golf, I've got Ohio State's top basketball targets all on push notifications. Just you know. Got to be ready. Got to be ready. Yeah, if, if you ever want an Ohio State basketball commit, uh, just tell just tell Colin to go to Top Golf. Yeah, it's, it's guaranteed to happen. No, I, that was the first two times I'd ever been to Top Golf, and thankfully, I actually have been back, and there was no basketball commitments. So, you know, that ended the streak, and the curse is broken. Yeah, and I, I will say though, like I didn't feel comfortable when I was there. I just I, <laughs> I assumed something was going to happen. Just checking your phone constantly. Mm-hmm. Ginnon Juice asked, "Do you like movies about gladiators?" As Colin knows, I don't watch movies, so I don't I don't have a like or dislike of movies about gladiators. I just haven't seen them, so I'll defer this one to Colin. Yeah, I've watched. I mean, I, I the answer is that maybe, but I, I honestly I just don't. I haven't watched a ton of gladiators movies. I watched Gladiator once, and I thought Gladiator was fine, but I I wasn't. I wasn't all in on it, so I think I'm a TBD, but I don't know. I, I, I think I might offend people by my take that I wasn't, I, I didn't absolutely love Gladiator. I thought Gladiator was fine. Um, I was also watching it, I remember at the time, for whatever reason, I was watching it for a, for a, for a, a school assignment. I have no idea why I was watching Gladiator for a school assignment, but that's probably why. I was just tainted by the fact that I was doing this because I had to rather than that I wanted to. So now I feel like I'm obligated to go back and give it a second shot. Yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, you got to gotta give it a chance. Got to see. Um, I, I, I would save it. I'll watch it, but I probably won't. Yeah, so. <laughs> don't even lie, Ben. Uh, but, but maybe. Maybe one of these days I'll... Uh, <laughs> yeah see it on tv and decide i should should give it a watch yeah that's not gonna happen but i but i respect the yeah. fact that you're kind enough to say that it might <laughs> yeah we, we 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 know we know of a truth there well thanks again for listening in to uh Colin and i talk about ohio state football and gladiator movies and uh, top golf uh, whatever else you guys ask about uh so Thanks again, and uh, you know, hopefully things will move in a positive direction, and we can keep uh, talking about football all year long. But uh, if not, we'll come up with something. So, uh, thanks again for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>